morning, everybody. Good to see you all this morning. Those are making their way back in. We're going to invite you to the book of Colossians again as we work our way through it verse by verse. This morning we are in chapter 3, Colossians chapter 3. And we're really hitting a transition point in the book of Colossians as we move from that which is doctrinal or truth-oriented to that which is practical. And these are uh, practical truths that are outworkings of somebody who believes the um, message that's at the beginning of the book. In other words, if you believe the truths that were presented in chapters 1 and 2, these are going to be practical outworkings of believing that truth. This is common for the Apostle Paul in his writings as he regularly will um, present the first half of the book as somewhat doctrinal or, again, truths about us, about God, about the gospel, and then the latter part of the book are fruits or their, um, their responses, if you will, to the truth that is presented. One thing that is important, while at the end of these, each one of the Apostle Paul's letters, he does write in the imperative um, mood, which means that he is writing as a command now, these are not suggestions that are given to us at the end of the epistles. They are commands that the apostle is given. They are commands that are, um, they're not commands as we would, the, the apostle would not want us to read them as legalism commands. He's not trying to put us back under the law, but they're commands as if you were being commanded by somebody who you knew loved you and was giving you instruction and giving you guidance and trying to give you help. That would be how the apostle would want us to read these commands because his, his object in the first few chapters is to avoid, um, is to push people away from legalism, to push people away from a works-based relationship with God. And as he does that, he's not going to then come at the end of the book and say, well, here's how you have a relationship with God. It's by works. That's not his motive or his intentions. But what he is saying is, is there are natural fruits that take place when a person is saved. When a person comes to know the Lord, there are natural things that happen in an individual's life. Um, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, all that is old has passed away and all that is new is, it, it, all, that, all, all other things are, everything becomes new. And so these are some natural things. So it's like a friend who you come to discover certain truths and that friend is just trying to help you understand them better and giving you some guidance and instruction to, to get you to, to press on, to press forward with the truths that you've received. So it's not, it's not meant to be received as a, a legalism, but yet meant to re be received as a, a fatherly instruction or, or kind of a guide. Does that make sense? It is so important. I, I say all of that because it is so important that, we, that the Apostle Paul's initial teaching doesn't get undermined by his closing teaching that we understand that he is pressing us to obey or to apply the truths that we've learned, but he's not pressing us to apply them as a legalism, but he's pressing us to apply them as a grace. It's a, it's a kindness to us. It's like if somebody told you that there was a, a treasure hidden in, in, in California somewhere, and it was really close, and you're the only one that could find it, or everybody was going to find it or whatever, you would want a map, right? And it wouldn't be like, go here, and if you don't, you're going to be in trouble. It'd be like, you get to go here, and then you get to go here, and then you get to go here. It'd be like allowances 
a direction, instruction, because you know that you're not pursuing out of legalism or law, but you're, you're getting to do these things because you know that the treasure is so amazing. The same way in the Christian life, when we come to appreciate Christ for who he is, we come to embrace him as the full treasure that he is. It's not, an, it's not legalism to say, you, you, you've got to do these things. It's grace. It's his kindness towards us that would tell us to do these things to, to help us experience the, what I would say is the full expression of our salvation. The full expression, the full experience of our salvation. So what we talked about last week is the, some of the things that we have to change in our minds, some of the things that have to uh, alter in our minds. And what he, what, he guided, what, he, what he instructed us to do is to change the way that you think, to renew your thinking. On the basis of the truths that you've received, you have to change the, the, the way that or the things that you think about. And you remember in the first four verses of chapter 3, he basically says, stop thinking about earthly things and start thinking about heavenly things. Stop pursuing earthly things and start pursuing heavenly things. Stop having passion for earthly things and start having a passion for heavenly things. What he is telling us is, is that you have, as a Christian, you have become a citizen of heaven, right? Because Christ lives in you, and where is Christ seated? He's seated at the right hand of the Father, right? So where are we seated? If we're seated with him, where are we seated? At the right hand of the Father. So we are in Christ, he is in us, and therefore we are heavenly beings, right? Now he's telling us, I want you to think like that. That's what the first four verses are. I want you to think like you're heavenly. Stop thinking like you're earthly and start thinking like you're heavenly. And so he really tells them five things. He says to believe, believe that which is heavenly, believe who you are in Christ, have affections for that which is heavenly, pursue that which is heavenly, accept the fact that the heavenly is a mystery. And he talks about our lives are hidden in Christ. And Christ then becomes our life. And when you think about your life, many of us, could, we could go around this room and we could point out what defines people's lives, right? It might be music, it might be sports, it might be uh, work or money, or it might be a lot of different things. But what the Lord says is for a Christian, what, be, what becomes the definition of our life, because the definition of our life is hidden, it's a secret, what becomes the definition of our life is the person with whom it's hidden. So Christ becomes the definition of our life because our purpose is hidden in him. And we must always remember that it's hidden in him. It's hidden for a reason. Why is it hidden? If we could see it and know it and touch it and taste it, it would no longer be received by what? It would no longer be received by faith. So it's hidden. Your life is hidden in Christ so that you now have to receive it, pursue it, embrace it, cherish it by faith because you can't see it. You can't touch it. You can't taste it. And you never will until you get to heaven one day. That's why the Christian life is something that we have by faith. So we have to accept the mystery of the heavenly things. And then we have to anticipate the return of the heavenly, that Christ is going to come back. And he's going to come back and he's going to take his children who are citizens with him but have been left physically on the earth take them back to be with him that's the promise of you know john 14 i go to prepare a place for you 
And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back again and receive you to myself. One of the greatest promises in Scripture is John 14, when his disciples are in probably one of the most challenging of moments of their life. Jesus, who is their best friend, who they totally committed their life to serving and following, has told them, I'm getting ready to die. Right? This is a serious moment. He's only been with them for three and a half years. But he's telling them, I'm getting ready to die. And how does he encourage them? He encourages them that I'm going to come back and I'm going to get you. And we're going to go and we're going to be in eternity with the Lord forever. Amen? That's a comfort. That's an encouragement. So he wants us to elevate our thinking so that we're no longer thinking about earthly things. We're no longer thinking about physical things. We're no longer thinking about things that you can feel, touch, and taste. And that's what he tells us at the end of chapter number two. So ask yourself the question, how much of your thinking is built around what you can feel, touch, taste, control, and how much of your thinking is about that which is divine? How much do we focus on the divine? How much do we focus on the heavenly? How much do we focus on the things of God? When it comes to our affections, when it comes to our pursuits, when it comes to all of these things, how much is our focus on the things of God and not on the things of this earth? And this is where um, Matthew 6, where it says, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. This is where this all comes into play. How much of the pursuits of our life are heavenly pursuits? Do we really believe ourselves to be a citizen of heaven? Do we see ourselves as pilgrims and sojourners in this world? This is not where we're meant to be. This is where we're at for a season because God has left us here to, to carry out his ministry and message but this is not where we're meant to be, right? This is not where we're meant to be. We are now, as, as indwelt by the Spirit of God, we are now heavenly beings. And we'll, 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 we'll see that come to fruition um, when the Lord returns and takes us home, or when we die, we get to see that come to fruition. So he wants us to elevate our thinking, but in addition to elevating our thinking, he wants us to elevate our lifestyle. He wants us to change the way that we function. It's not just about the way that we think, but once we start to think correctly, then our life begins to change. Our actions begin to change, right? Uh, Romans 12 and verse 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, which we talked about in the first four verses, that by testing you may prove or discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So it goes from the mind to the physical, to our actions. So this morning's message from the uh, verses 5 through 11 of chapter number 3 is simply, since we are complete in Christ, which is what verse 1 of chapter 3 tells us, since we are complete in Christ, there are certain things that we must leave behind. There are things that we must let go of, things that are associated with the earthly and are keeping us from experiencing the fullness of the heavenly. There are things that we are connected to here in this life that are keeping us from experiencing the fullness of what we have inside. And I illustrate it this way. I was going to actually bring a hot air balloon, not a big one, but a small one. Uh, what do they call those? Helium balloons in with me this morning, and I, I did not do it. So you don't get a visual aid. You just have to use your imagination to experience it. And we have some helium balloons, I think, in the back there. There are really probably not much helium in them anymore. But, but a helium balloon, everything about a helium balloon says that that helium balloon should do what? It should go up. 
right? So what do we do to keep it from going up? We hold on to it or we tie it down, right? We put some string on it and we put a heavy weight on the bottom of it. And that keeps that helium balloon from going up to where it would naturally go, right? Something weighty is holding it back, keeping it from going up to where it belongs, from where it would naturally go, right? And it's interesting because next week we're going to talk about the other side, the positive side of this, which is after you let a helium helium balloon or hold a helium balloon down for a season, what happens to it? It doesn't go up anymore, does it? All of a sudden, it becomes more and more likely to stay, to stay down. It's more likely that it's going to stay down over time as it stayed down. You let it go, it's gone. You're never going to see it again. But you hold on to it, and you hold on to it for weeks and weeks, you would find that it would be easier to keep it from going up. That is the way it is in the Christian life. We are, we are, there are things that are holding, and, I, and I'm, not, I'm not gonna even excuse us in saying that things that are holding us down, I'm gonna say this, there are things that we are holding on to that are keeping us from going where the Lord wants us to be. Because we're heavenly, right? We're heavenly. There are certain things that you're gonna have to leave behind to be heavenly people. There are things that you're gonna have to let go of if you're gonna ever experience the fullness of what Christ has for you. It's all there in that helium balloon. It's everything is there for that balloon to just go floating, right? It doesn't need anything more. It's all there. And the Bible says that if Christ lives in us, right, we are, we are Christ, all is in Christ, Christ is in you. If we have Christ in us, everything is there for us to be what? It's to be heavenly. Everything is there for us to be heavenly, and the scriptures tell us that, that in Christ we have all things that pertain to life and godliness. And those are, it's not life and godliness, meaning that all things for life and all things for godliness. It's, it's all things for a godly life. We have everything that we need to be heavenly, to, 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 to lift up from this world. And Jesus shows us that when he walks on the water, Right? The storm is there. The natural thing is, if somebody is in the water, that they're going to sink unless you have helium in you. Unless you have Jesus in you. And that's what Peter experienced when he got out of the boat and walked on the water. He focused on Jesus and he did what? He rose above the storm. He rose above the waves. Hebrews 12 and verse 2, the Bible says, Therefore, Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every, what's the next word? Anybody remember? Every weight. What's the weight doing? It's holding holding us down. It's keeping us from going where we belong. It's keeping us from being heavenly beings. Lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely to us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. You guys will remember, you'll remember the story of Lazarus in John 11 when he raises from the dead and he comes out of the tomb. Here's what is said about them. The man who had died came out. His hands and feet were bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, anybody know what he said to them? Unbind him. Let him go. Take off those grave clothes. Take off the, that which associates him with death. He's not dead any longer. 
He's alive now. Take those things off that make him look dead and make him look alive again. This is what it is for us in the Christian life. This is what the Apostle Paul is teaching us here in this text. As We'll read verses 5 down to verse number 11. Then I'm going to give you just three thoughts and a few a few sub-thoughts to go with those that hopefully will be helpful for you this morning as we think about leaving some things behind, letting go of some things. Some things are not meant to go with you past your conversion. They're meant to be left behind because they're simply going to hold you back. We hear that from a world's perspective, right? There are things you got to let go of because they just hold you back. I mean, the principle is a biblical principle. And it's not holding us back from our successes, but it's holding us back from experiencing God's, God's fullness in our life, the full expression of his grace. Verse number five, uh, read with me if you will, follow along. I'm reading from the ESV. It says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And that word, therefore, is used often by Paul. It means look back and see why. Look back and see what it's there for. And so what is he talking about? Christ in you, everything in Christ, you in the church. It's all about Christ. Christ has, has, has accomplished all of this. Therefore, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you have but now you must put them away anger wrath malice slander obscene talk from your mouth and do not lie to one another seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self just i, I want you to notice something because this is fairly consistent actually in each one of paul's epistles he he deals with this and we could go to a, we could go to a text in corinthians and galatians and ephesians um Philippians as well. We can go to a text in almost all the apostles, uh, the Apostle Paul's letters, and find almost this exact same theology. And what he what he always does is he presents the fact that these are things that we used to do. So salvation changes us. In First Corinthians six, it talks about uh, gives us a list of things that he says that will a person who does these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. You're familiar with that passage. Um, you know, talks about a number of different things. I don't, I, we won't look at it for time's sake, but, but he says this, but he said, and you used to do these things. And you used to do these things. So it's, an, it's implied in the text that these are no longer things that we as believers should do. These are no longer things that we as, who have been converted to Christ ought to remain doing. They ought to be, you ought to be able to speak about those things in the past tense right? Because Christ has set us free. He says, and you have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek or Jew, circumcision or uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. And he closes, us, closes out the text just by recapturing what is the thought is that Christ, everything is in Christ and Christ is in you. And Christ is the fulfillment, the completer. He is the, for the sake of the, uh, of the helium balloon, he is the helium that makes the balloon float. And I hope that's not a disrespectful analogy. I hope it makes sense to you. 
because uh, you, you compare the Lord to something, sometimes you can get in trouble. I don't want to get into trouble with the Lord, but you get the, you get the analogy that the Lord, is, the Lord is sufficient. The Lord is sufficient, right, to, to make us heavenly beings, right? The problem is he makes us heavenly beings and we hold on to earthly things, right? We're like that balloon that's got four strings attached to it, meaning that I'm holding on to the ground with two hands and two feet trying with all my might to not be elevated into the heavenlies. I'm afraid, right? I don't know what it's going to be like to rise up above the earth. I'm not going to be in control anymore. I'm just going to be floating out there. I'm afraid of that. And so the fear keeps me from letting go of all of these earthly things and then becoming heavenly. It's the fear that, that, that does that. And the, the apostles often had this same struggle. So let's look at uh, three things that these scriptures, I think, teach us about this idea of letting go of that which is earthly so that we can become heavenly. Number one is, what should we leave behind that is earthly? What should we leave behind that is earthly? This text deals with a few things, and I'm going to give you the general thought of the text, but it's not exhaustive, meaning that it doesn't include everything. We could look at a different passage of Scripture like Galatians 5, where it talks of the works of the flesh, and it will give you a different list than this list is. We can look at Ephesians, and it will give you a different list than this list is. It's, it's, um, it's not an exhaustive list. What he wants us to do is let go of the things that are... Think about it this way. When Jesus told the rich man, if you want to be saved, he had to do what? Let go of his, let go of his riches. He had to let go of his riches. And you see that same theme in Nicodemus in John 3. If he wanted to be saved, he had to let go of his intelligence, his, his, his religiosity, right? You see this throughout the scriptures where the Lord, he's not telling them necessarily how to be saved because we know that salvation is by faith, by grace through faith, but he's telling them that you can't be saved and hold on to these things still. That's what's going to change. If you're unwilling to let go of these things and you can't be saved because the Lord is going to, going to, going to he's going to loosen you of your, of your things, He's going, to let, he's going to help you let go of them. Think about this. 1 Corinthians 15 says, at the end of the chapter, it says the sting of death is, the sting of death is sin. What is the sting of death? Well, the sting of death is what makes sin, is what makes death hurt, right? A bee stings you and it hurts. The sting of death is what makes sin hurt. What makes sin hurt is that we're holding on to that which is earthly, the Apostle Paul could say, I would rather depart from here than to stay here. And the only way that he could say that is he didn't have anything holding him here. He had no strings, you know, no strings attached. The Apostle Paul had been through so much suffering, every one of his strings had been disconnected. He was ready to go. And that's why he could say, for me to live is Christ and to die is, is gain. How could he say that? He disconnected. Paul was heavenly. The apostle Paul had reached the status of heavenliness. That, you, that, that obviously, I'm just going to say it because I'm just going to be honest with you this morning, that many of us will never experience until we get to heaven. To be so heavenly minded, to be able to speak like the apostle Paul, is somebody who has experienced so much heartache that all of their strings have been disconnected. Disconnected. 
The only thing that keeps them on the earth is gravity. So what should we disconnect from? What should we leave behind? The first thing, the first thought, and it really is just a general thought because it comes from the word earthly here. He says to leave behind, put to death, therefore, what is earthly. And so I wrote down this, and it's not on your notes, so you don't have to put it down, but that which came from Adam. It's the sin nature. It's that, that which binds us to the earth. Galatians 5 verses 19 through 20 calls it the works of the flesh. In 1 Corinthians 15, verses 47 through 49, it's, it's compared to Adam. So anything that's in Adam, in 1 Corinthians 15, you have the comparison of Adam, who was a natural man, an earthly man, and the comparison of Christ, who is a heavenly man, who is a spiritual being. So he's saying to them, let go of all of the things in your life that are connected to Adam. All of the things that are connected to your fallen nature, your sinful nature, let go of those things. Those things, you're, they're not holding you back, you're holding them. You're afraid of letting them go because they bring you pleasure, they bring you security, they bring you something, and you're afraid of letting go of them, so you're the one holding on. It would be so easy to stand up here and say, they're just holding you back. As if you have no part in it. No, you're holding yourself back by holding on to those things that are meant to keep you from rising up to where the Lord would have you to be. Those things that are earthly, that are associated with and connected to our fallen humanity, these are the things that we have to begin to disconnect ourselves from. And he gives us several of them, and I'm going to read through it and give you some general thoughts here. He says, put to death, therefore, that which is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, even desire, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. So he gives us a list of things and give you a few of them. Number one is that which is earthly morally. That which is earthly morally. He talks specifically here about sexual immorality because sexual immorality is, is truly the peak of sin. Most of the Apostle Paul's uh, lists of sins start with some form of sexual immorality in them, whether it be adultery or, or whether it be adultery or fornication. Usually some type of sexual sin is at the top of his list. And the reason for this is because sexual sin is really the, the, um, the climax of, of the flesh, of the sinful flesh. Uh, first, uh, Romans 1, it talks about that the Lord gives them over and gives them over and gives them over. And each time he gives them over, it's into deeper what? Deeper sexual sin. Sexuality is really the, is really the climax of humanity's fallenness. It is expressed our fallenness is expressed really from the beginning of time, but, but I don't know, maybe greater today than ever is expressed in our inordinate uh, feelings when it comes to sexual things. The fact that that is something that is in complete control over us, men and women alike. And in, in our culture, it's, it's out of control, but in the world, it's out of control. Sexual immorality, he, he deals with this because it is the pinnacle of sin. It is the pinnacle of desire. It is the fleshly desire that drives men and women to live inordinately in regard to their sexual lives. 
having relationships outside of marriage, having relationships before marriage, acting like sex is somehow um, and a, a acting like sex is somehow not a holy thing. God ordained sex as a holy thing to be to be enjoyed and to be productive between you and your wife. That's why He gave it to us. The Bible here He's get, using this to show us that we have to put away. We have to put away the, the, the climax of our desires that are sexual or earthly, that are directly connected to Adam's fallenness. Sexual sin. The word here that's used in the Greek is pornea. It, come, it, is, the, it is the root word for two other words. One is pornography, as you're familiar with, which is just simply the root uh, the, the, the basic level of immorality. It's not even having uh, relations sexually, but it's just thinking about things sexually. It's a sin against God. It's a sin against God. It, he says, you've got to listen to me. This is what's keeping too many men and too many women connected to this world. They can't even let go of sexual desires that are inordinate and inappropriate. And that's why we're tied down and we're not rising up to being the heavenly people that God has ordained us to be. The other word that's associated with this is prostitution. This is where it gets a little bit more in-depth as to the actual carrying out of this sin. But what you'll notice is you'll notice a digression. He literally starts with the, with the performance of this sin when he uses the word sexual immorality or pornography or prostitution. But then he moves down from there and he goes all the way back to just simply the desire for it. The, the last term that he uses in regards to our moral sin is simply that you covet something. Because that's where it starts. Our carnality starts. Do you know what, do you know what Satan used on Eve? He made her covet something. He made her want something that was not meant for her to have. And that's exactly what he's doing with us. And he says, you have to let go of your, of your inappropriate desires, your sexual desires, which again is just the, the pinnacle of our desires, but literally all of our desires that are connecting us to this world are going to keep us from rising up and being the heavenly beings that God has created us to be. 1 Thessalonians 4, 7, it says, For God has not called us to impurity, but unto holiness. Sexual desires, the, 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 um, the second term that's used here is, uh, 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 let, me, let me go back here to see what impurity. Impurity is just a term used for general impurity, not necessarily not sexual, but just general impurities, perhaps looking with lust as Matthew 5.28 says, or Ephesians 5.4 says, just foolish jesting or joking around about things that we shouldn't joke around about. It's filthiness or dirtiness or uncleanliness in any way, in our thinking, in our actions, in our desires, in any way that we're thinking in a proper, in pro, improper way or talking in an improper proper way. When we think that our words don't matter, the Bible says every idle word that proceeds out of your mouth, you will be judged for it. Our words do matter. As a matter of fact, what, what, what comes out of the mouth of man and what is what proceeds from where? That's right. What comes out of the mouth of man, it proceeds from his heart. 
earthly passions, desires of the flesh, evil desires, desires of the flesh. This is our relationship. This is our, this is our, um, this is how we are morally to separate, we are to separate from these things morally in the, in this earth. And then he comes down finally to just simply covetousness, which is simply the desire for these things. And he, he calls it idolatry. Why is it idolatrous to covet something? Because we're coveting something more than we are desiring God. We covet something more than we got. When we, when we, when we covet sexual things that are not in line with God's will or God's character or God's person, we are living in adultery and idolatry at the same time because we placed something above God. The Ten Commandments, the tenth of the Ten Commandments is thou shalt not, what? Covet. James 1, 14 and 15 says this, but each man or each person is tempted when he is lured away and enticed by his own desires. Then these desires when they are conceived, give birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. So where does the Apostle Paul start with saying, you must kill this? He starts with killing your desires. You don't kill sexual immorality. You kill your desires. This is where you have a three-year-old kid and you teach that three-year-old kid to avoid sexual immorality, but you don't teach them by teaching them to avoid sexual immorality. You teach them by teaching them to control and kill their desires. It starts when they're children. We give them everything that they want. We fill them with earthly things. We have them pursuing every earthly thing that's possible, every pleasure that they could ever imagine. We want them to have it. And then we wonder why they get to be 20 years old and they want to have sexual pleasure and they just think they should have it. They've never been told no. You can't have that. It's not good for you. We start by killing the desires of the flesh. You say, but they'll miss out on so much that life has to offer. Well, maybe they'll be heavenly children who will also miss out on all the crumb that the world has to offer. And I want you to know that I use that word to avoid some other words. <laughs> Seriously, we could use stronger words. This starts with a desire. It's just covetousness, but it leads to Sexual immorality. It's like a kid looks over at his friends. His friend's got a little toy in his hand and he wants that toy. He's going to get that toy. All of a sudden that kid is 20 years old and he sees a girl and he wants that girl and he's going to get that girl. You, think it, you don't think that there's a process? Kill it. Kill it. That's what he says. We'll get to that. Galatians 5.24, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Listen to that verse. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. 
that which is earthly relationally. Number two, he goes on to say this. He says, um, but now you must put them away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth and do not lie to one another. These are relational things. These are things that deal with how we act towards people, how we treat people, how we function around people. It's like anger. We, we, uh, over in uh, Ephesians, uh, Brother Gollum read this morning, it talks about um, do not grieve the Holy Spirit and put away uh, bitterness and anger and wrath and malice and evil speaking and, and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. It's putting aside, listen to me, your anger that you're having right now towards somebody, your bitterness that you're having right now towards somebody, your frustration that you're having right now towards somebody is simply binding you to this earth. You will never rise above it. You will never walk on the water until you let go of those things, till you leave them behind. Let them be in the past. Speak of them only in the past tense, not in the present tense. The Bible literally says in Hebrews chapter number 12 that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn there and read it because of the context and just give you a few verses here. Hebrews chapter number 12 and verse 15, it says this. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble and by many become and by and and by it many become defiled let no bitterness spring up and defile you and defile many and he doesn't stop there he says that no one is sexually immoral that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau who sold his birthright for a single meal it's actually a continuous thought. Bitterness and anger and wrath and the wrong type of emotions can lead to sexual sin. That which is earthly, emotionally, or, or relationally, we have to let go of those things. And Golov read the best passage this morning when he read from Ephesians chapter number 4. Someone who is new in Christ and now heavenly must cut away those things that tie them down to the earth and that keep them from experiencing his blessing in their relationships. The Bible tells us in James, the wrath of man does not accomplish the righteousness of God. And then the third thing that we must let go of, we must let go of certain things morally. We must let go of certain things relationally. And we must let go of certain things, what I put down here, genetically or biologically, whatever word you would like to use. He says here at the end of the verse, uh, end of the portion in verse 11, here there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. In other words, whatever our distinctives are, whatever makes us different, we've got to let go of it. This is the idea of competitiveness, comparing ourselves to other people lifting up ourselves on the basis of perhaps our greater intellect or physical abilities or our race or our language or our ethnicity or whatever. It's comparing ourselves amongst ourselves. He says we are not wise. When we do that, we are limiting ourselves to that which is earthly. 2 Corinthians 10, 12 says it this way, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, 
they are without understanding. I like the King James version of this. It says they are not wise. In Galatians 3.28 says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. We're all one in Christ Jesus. This doesn't take away our roles. It doesn't take away what we're called to do, what we're gifted to do. It takes away our comparisons. It takes away our pride. It shoots our pride right where it belongs, puts our pride right where it belongs. That comparative attitude is an earthly attitude, and it will simply tie you down to the earth. So we must separate from this world. We must let go of that which is earthly when it comes to our desires, when it comes to our relationships, and when it comes to our comparisons of ourselves with others. Let's go on to point number two. Why should we leave behind that which is earthly? Why should we leave behind that which is earthly? There are a few things that he tells us here in the text that help us understand why. The first thing is mentioned to us in the word, therefore. What we're meant to do is go back and look at therefore. What's the Apostle Paul tell us that we're here for? We're here because we have been transformed by the power of Christ who fills us, completes us, and matures us on his own. Point number one, the reason why we need to let go of that which is earthly is because it conflicts and is inconsistent with our conversion. It's in conflict with who we are in Christ. Living connected to this world is in conflict and is inconsistent with you being a heavenly person. It is inconsistent because we are heavenly in Christ. Romans 6 verse 1 through 5, the Apostle Paul, they talk about the people in Romans 6. The Romans talk about, well, should we continue in sin because grace is so amazing and and the Apostle Paul's argument is, is, don't you know what's happened to you? I mean, it's an argument of, you don't, you don't get it. You don't realize that you're a new person in Christ, that you died with him. And when you died with him, your sinfulness died with him as well. The text literally says in, in, in Romans 6 that your old man died with Christ. Do you believe that? You believe that? Your old man died with Christ. It is inconsistent. Romans 6 and verse 6 says, For we know that our old self was crucified with him. I just quoted this to you or paraphrased it to you. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. It is inconsistent with who we are, right? I think sometimes we think that being heavenly is inconsistent with who we are. Being heavenly is absolutely the surprise in our life. Woohoo, I was heavenly today, when it should literally be the other way around. We should be surprised when we're not heavenly, because when we're heavenly, it's natural, because we are, because we are heavenly, right? We are heavenly, and we must live with that as a a 
heart of our faith. The Lord says in, in Romans 6 and verse 11, consider yourself therefore to be dead to sin. It means believe that you're dead to sin. How many of you believe that you're dead to sin? Don't raise your hand because everybody's going to raise their hand now because I just said you had to. How many of you, your life illustrates that you believe that you're dead to sin? That it no longer has anything to do with, you no longer have anything to do with it, it no longer has any power in your life. F.F. Bruce, uh, a scholar and commentator, says it this way, be in your practice what you are now by divine act. Be in your practice what you are now in divine act. It is not only inconsistent, but let me say this to you, it is also conflicting with who you are. It is, con- it is in opposition to who you are. It opposes what Christ has accomplished in you. Being bound to the flesh and being bound to that, to that which is earthly is going to keep you from experiencing the fullness of who Christ has created you, or let me say it this way, has recreated you to be. You think about it, in Genesis chapter number one, God created Adam and Eve perfect, didn't he? He created them to represent him, to reflect him, to fellowship with him in a perfect way. Satan threw in the temptation for them to have their own earthly desires, and Eve gave into that, and she destroyed all of that intimacy. She was no longer a heavenly being. She now became an earthly being. Jesus Christ came to this earth 2,000 years ago, and he died on the cross bearing your sins and my sins, and he says that he will recreate you. He will make you a new creature. He will recreate you back into a heavenly being. And when he does that, now we have to let go of what we're holding on to that is earthly. It is inconsistent. It conflicts with, with the heavenly. 1 John 2, 16, the Bible says, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eye, and pride. Those are all what? Those are all earthly. That's what it says. They're all earthly. The desires of the flesh which is your physical desires, the desires of your eyes, which are your visible, your your vision desires, and the desires of pride, which are your ego desires, are all earthly. If you're a slave to those, you cannot be heavenly. You will not rise. He says, um, back to our text, the desires of the eyes are not from the Father, but are from the world. Galatians 5.17, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. The desires of the spirit are against the flesh. These are opposed to one another to keep you from doing what you ought to do. So number one, we need to cut these things away, loosen ourselves from them because they are not consistent with who we are and they oppose who we are. Number two, It says this, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. Number two, because it brings the wrath of God. 
Earthliness brings the wrath of God. He wants us to separate from that earthliness. Let me give you a few thoughts on this line. I want you to listen. This is very important. Number one is we don't want to experience the wrath of God. Anybody want to experience the wrath of God? You say, Pastor John, how do I experience the wrath of God if I'm a believer? Can a believer experience the wrath of God? Didn't Christ, didn't Christ fully satisfy God's wrath for us? And the answer is, absolutely. Christ fully satisfied God's wrath for us, right? So I want you to picture these balloons again. We're back to the balloons, right? So here's the earth, and we're going to talk about the earth here, right? This is the earth, and the balloons are floating, but they're all tied down to these strings. These strings are all attached to these balloons, and on the ground there are rocks that are holding this balloon down. The balloon is you, full of Christ, because you are, because you are saved, but you have, you're holding on to the things of this earth. When the Lord judges the earth, so let's just imagine if I were to take a bunch of rocks and I were to throw them at the rocks that are on the ground, what happens to a lot of those strings? The strings start to get pulled different places, don't they? And you start to experience, you start to, the wrath of God is not towards you, but you start to feel what the, what the earth is feeling because you're connected to it. It's not wrath towards you. You are indirectly experiencing the wrath of God because God is judging sin and you're connected to sin. If God decided, if you're, if, you're, if, you're, if you're a believer and you decide to go into a brothel somewhere and God decides to judge that brothel and you're in that brothel, you're going to be judged with it. The judgment's not towards you. You're a believer. If you want to go to the bar and get drunk and, and God decides that he's going to judge that sin and he judges that sin and you're in that, you're going to become a part of that judgment. It's not the judgments towards you, Jesus Christ. The, 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 the sad thing is, is that the judgment's not towards us. We just put ourselves in it. It's like it's one thing if I'm living in sin and God judges me. It's a whole other stupid thing, for lack of a better word, if I just walk into what I know God is going to judge when I'm full of Christ. And there's no reason for me to be there. I know that his wrath is going to be against it. Maybe it won't be today, but maybe it will be tomorrow. I'm not going to walk into that stupidly. I'm going to avoid it and stay away from it so that I don't have to experience the wrath. Listen, when God pours out his wrath on the world, if you're holding on to the world, it's going to hit you. It's not towards you, but it's going to hit you. And I tell you, the amazing thing is, is I believe that the Lord will use that to break some of your strings. I think he will. I think he broke some of Jonah's strings, didn't he? You get enough rocking going on, you get enough judgment going on down here, those little strings start to become, it's like, it's not hold, I'm not holding on to that anymore. By God's grace, you'll figure that out. Unfortunately, many Christians just hold on tighter. The Lord's like, let go. Let go, let go, let go. See, this is horrible. See, this is wicked. See that my wrath is towards this. Don't hold on to it. See the evil of it. And he shows us grace after grace after grace, opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to let go, but we just hold on, hold on tighter and tighter and tighter to that which is ultimately going to destroy us. 
Our families fall apart. We fall apart morally. We fall apart emotionally. We fall apart relationally. We fall apart financially. We fall apart in every way because, because yes, we're elevated, but we're holding on. So it's affecting us. And the Lord is saying, let go because you're just going to float away. You're just going to float away from it, Peter. You're just going to walk on the water with me. It brings the wrath of God. It brings the, the world, earthliness brings the wrath of God. Everything about Adam after his fallen state is going to bring about the wrath of God. That's why we must disconnect from it. Listen, folks, there's a lot of things that we're connected to here at a, as a church that you're connected to, that I'm connected to, that may not be simply, it may not be completely evil, but it is keeping us from reaching the full expression of what Christ has done for us and what Christ desires for us. It's just simply earthly. It's just holding us back. And once we let go of it, it's just freedom. We get to float with the Lord. But we just are so afraid of losing that pleasure or that desire or whatever might be the case. The Lord throws judgment down at that sin, and because we're connected to it, it, uh, it affects us, and it tears us from place to place, and it just rips us up until we, we, we let go. We don't want to experience God's wrath. Let me say number two in regards to bringing God's wrath, and this is equally important. Listen to me. We don't want to partake. We don't want to partake in things that bring God's wrath. In other words, the last thing you want to do is be a partaker in something, a promoter of something that is causing other people to experience God's wrath. You see, people are going to hell for those sins that we are holding on to. Do you get that? Do you get that? You're supporting, sponsoring, financially promoting a lifestyle that God in his word says is a hell-bound lifestyle. Now, yeah, you don't want to experience the wrath of God, but do you care about other people? Do you care that they might be going to hell because of that sin that you're, in, you're holding on to with them? It's like holding people's hands right into the pit of hell and then dropping them in and then you going to heaven. That's a shame, isn't it? But that's exactly what we do when we walk in holding on to things, pleasurizing ourselves with things that are earthly and are ultimately going to be condemned by God. Read the book of Revelation. He's going to pour out wrath on this earth like no man has ever seen or experienced. And it's going to be because of these things that we're holding on to today and we act like they're not that important. Listen to me, folks. People are important. And their souls are important. It's time that we Christians decide to, to let go of some earthly things so that we can be the witness that God has called us to be. Matthew 18 and verse 16 says it this way, if you cause a younger, if you cause one of these little ones to stumble, if you cause a little, if you cause a, a new believer or you cause, I think even a, a non-believer, but specifically if you cause a new believer to stumble because you're holding on to some earthly things, he said, it'd be better that what was tied around your neck. A floating device? No, it's called a sinking device. A millstone was tied around your neck and you were cast into the sea. 
1 Corinthians 8 and Romans 14 are two other texts that tell us how we ought to act towards in how we ought to live our lives with other people in mind. These things bring about the wrath of God. And we don't want to be a partaker of them, nor do we want to partake in them. Listen, if you're a believer this morning, there is nothing you can do to experience God's wrath. There is nothing you can do that will send you to hell. Do you get that? There's nothing that you can do. That's, the, law has been, the law has been nailed to the cross. You can do whatever you want. But there are other people who will experience God's wrath for the very things that you pleasure in. And I think it's against nature, spiritually, for us to desire to do those things anyway. Because it brings the wrath of God. Number three in this section because of our experience with sin and God's wrath. He says it this way. He says, In these you too once walked when you were living in them. And I think you can interpret that in a number of different ways, but ultimately what the Apostle Paul is saying here is that you walked in sin before and you experienced the wrath of God when you were walking in that sin. Right? Before you guys, any of you remember what your life was like before you were saved? Is that, was, it, was it like, I mean, would you rather go back there? Would you rather go back there? So why are you holding on to the things that you were set free from? It's like the woman in John 8. She, she, she's, she's committing adultery. The, 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 the Pharisees bring her before the, the Lord, and they're getting ready to, they bring her there. They're getting ready to stone her. And, and Jesus says to her, says to them, you know, he who has no sins, cast the first stone, Right? And nobody throws any stones, and then they get up, and Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. And then he says what? He says, go and sin no more. Now, would it have made any sense at all for that woman to go and find the next man to go sleep with? Would it? She has just been set free. Because sin was slavery to her. Being a prostitute was a slave. That was her slavery. She's been set free. Jesus says, you don't have to sin anymore. Go and sin no more. And she went and sinned no more. Sometimes we need to be reminded of our experience with sin and what it was like prior to our salvation and what it's like, what it's like now. And And I would hope it would be better. The last thought this morning is, how do we leave behind what is earthly? And there are three things that he tells us here. Each, each point has a three, three sub-points. So I hope this is helpful for you this morning. This is something that uh, is important, I think. Number one, he says, mortify your flesh. Mortify, mortify your flesh. This word, it, it literally means, and uh, it doesn't say mortify in this ESV. It says put to death. Um, but in other versions, it says mortify. It's the same word. It means to kill something, to put it to death, to be actively, to actively be putting to death that which is earthly. So here's what I want you to think about. What this means is, is you have to treat what is earthly as an enemy. You don't kill something that's not your enemy. When you see that which is earthly as a lion or as a uh, a bear 
or as a, some other animal that's trying to kill you, when you see that what's, that's what's happening, then you will put it to death, right? Right? We'll, we'll shoot that lion that's standing right there in front of us that's getting ready to attack and destroy us and our family. Possibly, right? You have a gun? Would you guys, would you do that? Is that, I think we'd probably do that, right? Because we see it as a danger. When you see that which is earthly in your life as being dangerous, you are then called to do what? To kill it. And let it go is a good word for it, but this is actually stronger than just letting it go. This is to actively be involved in putting it to death. The Apostle Paul compares it in numerous occasions as a war, calls us good soldiers. He compares it in 1 Corinthians 9 as a boxing match. In Matthew 5 and verse 29, he says, if your eye causes you to sin, do what? I would submit to you that our eyes are probably one of them. I mean, if you could look, if we could see this from a spiritual perspective, our eyes probably have a lot of hands, don't they? Does that make sense? And they're holding on to a lot of things that this world has to offer. Here's what the Lord says. If your eye is holding on to something that is worldly, that's going to lead to your condemnation, do what with it? Get rid of it. And then he moves the second thought. If your eye causes you to stumble, then what does he go to? If your hand. Cut it off. Make war on it. Because it's not worth it. Yes, we would. (laughs) Amen. The Apostle Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians 9.27 that he disciplined his body to keep it under control lest after his preaching to others he himself would be disqualified. So make war, mortify your flesh, mortify that which is earthly in you. Number two is walk in the word. He says it this way. He says, having put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge. In other words, it is the word of God, the understanding. It is understanding what the word of God says about you that will drive you to mortify those things that are not true about you and to live in the truth of God's word. One of the great challenges, even when you go to Romans 6, they talk about, should we continue in sin that grace may abound? You know what he says to them? He says, do you not know who you are? So what was their problem? They needed to know who they were. We need to know who we are. You need to know who you are in Christ. And the only way to know that is through the word. Romans 10, 17 tells us faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Matthew 4, 4 tells us that we shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Psalm 119, 11 tells us that the word of God will keep us from sinning. Psalm 119, 105 says the word of God is a lamp to our feet and a light unto our path. Psalm 119, the whole chapter is just there to tell us how great and powerful the word of God is. You've got to be in the word to discover who God is and to discover who you are. And then the last thought is to walk in the spirit. Be strengthened, and that comes from another text that I'll read in a moment here. You have to be strengthened by the Spirit in order, to, in order to mortify the flesh. You can't do it in your own strength. That is the flesh. 
Galatians 5.16 says, But I say this, walk in the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. If you want to win over your anger, if you want to win over all of the things that you're holding on to in this world, if you want to cut yourself free, you're going to have to walk in the Word, walk in the Spirit, and kill in your life that which is connecting you to the earthly. And I would say this to you. The reason the lists are different in the Scriptures is because the people dealt with different things that were holding them down. You may not be... You mean, oh, Pastor John, I got all those things covered. Listen, you got something you're holding on to. Every one of us does. It's like those strings holding that balloon down. That balloon wants to float. Everything in it wants to float, but it's being held down by strings, and you're being held down by strings. And the only way to be set free is to cut those strings free. What the Lord does is he helps by, he helps sometimes by knocking those strings To help set you free from them. To accomplish God's purpose for transforming us, we must conform into his image. We must conform to his image by cutting loose those things that do not conform with his image. We cut them loose because we are experienced, because we cut them loose because of our experience with them, because we know that they bring the wrath of God on others and on the earth, and because they do not line up with our character which is in Christ. We cut them off by treating them like an enemy, by walking in the word and by walking in the spirit. And once we are free from these bondages, we we will fly like eagles and we will run like deer. Let me say that to you again. Once you are free from these bondages, you will soar like an eagle and you will leap like a deer. Isaiah 40, 31, but those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And I want to close with this verse. Habakkuk Habakkuk 3 and verse 19 says this, God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like deers. He makes me tread on high places. What are you needing to cut away? Maybe some surgery needs to be done in your life to loosen you from the world and let you elevate where the Lord is and with the Lord. It's natural for those who believe. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for this time together this morning. Thank you for your word. We do pray Specifically, for those who are believers here, who do know you as their Savior and Lord, who have been, have been filled with the Spirit and indwelt by the Holy Spirit, we pray that you would help them to know who they are in Christ, and we would help them to know that there is really an enemy, and that enemy is the world, it is the flesh, it is the devil, and it's keeping and doing all that it can to tie them down so that they don't experience the full expression of what Christ has done for them. Please, God, set us free. Help us to identify those things and to take the spiritual scissors that you have provided and to cut them away one after the other. If there's someone here today that doesn't know you as their Savior, they've never experienced the first transformation that comes in salvation, 
I pray, dear God, that you would convict their heart today and know that there's a freedom that only Christ can give. And if they will believe him and trust him and embrace him, that that freedom will be theirs. I pray that you would accomplish this work in them in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen.